Hello, welcome to another Tuesday afternoon session. This is Bill Allen coming to you uh, live from beautiful Tyler, Texas. If you are watching at 3 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon, March the 28th, I hope that if that's true, that you are being able to enjoy a beautiful day wherever you are. If you're here in Tyler, it is a beautiful day. The sun is out. It's a bit breezy and there's a little cool in the air, but very comfortable and uh, a wonderful time to visit Tyler, Texas. There are a lot of flowers out. The azaleas seem to be out. Uh, that goes pretty fast. Probably this past weekend was an ideal time, uh, but uh, lots going on, and hopefully you're doing well and enjoying the beauty of God's creation and feeling his blessed presence uh, with you. As we uh, have been doing all through this year on Tuesdays, we're discussing uh, some of the readings for the daily devotional readings from Oswald Chambers' classic daily devotional guide, uh, My Utmost for His Highest. And so I try to uh, share a little bit from some previous lessons over the last several days. And, uh, and, and that's going to be the case today as we go back to uh, readings within the last week that uh, are taken from Galatians 2 and then a couple from John chapter 3. This scripture passage we start with in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is a very familiar verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer I that live. It is Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, you do know that song, I bet. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Seems like a little bit younger I could get that out with one breath, but I didn't take a very big breath at the beginning, so I probably could have done it, but I'm not going to try it again. Uh, that's Galatians 2.20, and that thought, I have been crucified with Christ, leads to this reading from March the 21st in Chambers' book with the title, Identified or Simply Interested? And that is a really good question, isn't it? He writes, the inescapable spiritual need each of us has is the need to sign the death certificate of our own sinful nature. Can you truly say what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. Uh, we must be willing to turn all of those beliefs and desires and actions uh, over to God and to uh, turn away from those that are a part of the physical, carnal nature of sin. Uh, we basically give up any right to ourselves. And that's not a very popular theme in 21st century America, is it? Probably never has been. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when Satan looked square into Eve's eyes and said, I believe Adam was there as well, and said, you will not surely die. The thing is, is that you'll be like God if you break his commandment and make your own choice. Well, Satan tells that same lie today. And the reality is we like that. We want to be, we want to make our own choices. We want to be the ones in charge of our lives. 
and to say I give up all rights to myself and to running my life, um, that's not a very popular message. And yet that's the message of Christianity. It starts with Jesus on the cross, not my will, but yours be done. He had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it led to him allowing the Father uh, to hold back the angels and not spare his life. I'm going to be preaching this uh, Easter Sunday from John 10, where Jesus, one of those great seven I am statements in John, I am the good shepherd, and Jesus says, the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have the authority to lay it down and to raise it back up again. It's a very bold statement from Jesus, and that's what we'll be talking about on Easter Sunday here at West Irwin Church of Christ. And yet, that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life. He gave it up. And that's what Paul says we have all done in a maybe not a physical way, although Paul would do that uh, physically. Uh, within about uh, probably 10 or 15 years or so after this is written, he will be see his life uh, taken away. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. He did not say, I have made a determination to imitate Jesus Christ, or I will make an effort to follow him, but I have been identified with him in his death. I am crucified with Christ. And it is uh, the same in Romans chapter 6. We die to sin. We are buried with Christ through baptism into death, and we're raised to live that new life. Well, that new life doesn't come until we put the old one to death. And what do you do with a death? You bury it. I, I die to sin. I've been buried with Christ through baptism into death, and I've been raised to live a new life. Life. We think of all that Christ accomplished for me on the cross, and all of that changes what's in me, and that becomes an unrestrained commitment of myself to God, as Chambers says. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My individuality remains. I'm still Bill, but my primary motivation for living and the nature that rules me are radically Change. Paul gives us a good glimpse of that in Romans 7 and 8. In chapter 7, he says, I, keep, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I know I should do. Uh, Wretched man that I am, he cries at the end of Romans 7, who will separate me from this body of death? And he answers his own question, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then throughout the rest of, of that passage leading into chapter 8, he talks about living according to the Spirit. Um, and then, I, it is no longer I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. Not the life which I long to have in heaven, uh, but the life that I have right now. The life that I now live in my mortal body. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. It starts with what Jesus did for us. That's that indicative imperative. The indicative are things that are true right now. Uh, the imperative are things that we push ourselves to be. Uh, that God calls us to live. But the indicative is not based on the imperative. Um, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And so because of that, 
uh, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, Jesus doesn't wait around to give himself on the cross until we faithfully follow him. He does that first. And now we're called upon to faithfully follow him. It's no longer a faith in faith, Chambers writes, but a faith that transcends all imaginable limits, a faith that comes only from the Son of God. Uh, he loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, that's how Paul puts it in Galatians 2 verse 20. Uh, John, the apostle, records how John the Baptist put it in John 3. Uh, remember at the very beginning, John the Baptist had lots of followers, lots of disciples, baptizing lots of people. They were all amazed to see this kind of strange, uh, a, a, a bit uh, a, a exotic man out in the wilderness, uh, you know, wore a leather belt and camel's hair, and he had this weird diet of locusts and honey and uh, and boy, he spoke the word of God powerfully. And so they went to him in droves. But then Jesus came along. John baptized him. And, and uh, after, after that, you saw some of the crowds of John the Baptist going over to Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples uh, getting more and more followers. And so there's this uh, great passage in John 3 verse 30. In the old translation, the King James Version, uh, John the Baptist sees his followers come to him and his disciples, and they say, hey, the, everybody's going over to that other guy. And John says, that's how it should be. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think that's the same thing as what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. Christ lives in me. John says, hey, he's got to uh, become greater in the NIV, I must become less. What a great attitude that John the Baptist had. Um, uh, he says in chapter, in the verse before that, that as a servant, uh, his primary responsibility is the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the bridegroom himself. That's Jesus. But he says, as the friend of the bridegroom that I'm looking on and I'm having great joy, that actually he is increasing, uh, that he is becoming greater. Uh, when you begin to see that person in the middle of a difficult and painful struggle, uh, then you have to ask yourself, well, what's going on here? Or if you're experiencing that yourself, what's going on here? And what you hope is that the difficulty and the storm will help them come out 10 times stronger. Uh, because we know that Jesus works in everything. It's amazing to me as I read through the Bible, Old Testament Gospels, New Testament letters, everywhere, that the, the events that Satan uses to try to destroy our faith and destroy the church, God uses uh, to make us even stronger and to make our faith even better. This summer I hope to preach some from the book of Job, and that's exactly what Job learned. He learned that... Um, it doesn't have to have to be that God takes away all of the suffering, that God takes away all the difficulties, but that God can be a real presence in the midst of them. Paul learned the same thing, and he said it in 2 Corinthians 12. When he, pried, when he prayed three times over and over and over again for that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, I have some theories, but whatever that was, to be taken away, 
Um, and God came back and said, no, the answer to your prayer, Paul, is no, I'm not going to take it away. Uh, but I'll give you something even better, my presence. I will be with you. And so Paul says, that's good enough for me. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. Uh, that's the power that John the Baptist saw as well. As he looked over at Jesus and he looked over at all the disciples going over to him. And he said, yes, he must become greater. He must increase. I must decrease. Uh, and through that, uh, he proved his faith and his faith continued to grow. Uh, beware of rejoicing with someone over the wrong thing, but always look to rejoice over the right thing, Chambers says. And again from John 3, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled, John said. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. And so this was spoken with joy, not with sadness. We would think, oh boy, what a downer for John. I mean, he gave everything. Ultimately, he's going to have his head chopped off because of his uh, devotion to God's truth. But John, John said this was his joy. It was like being at a, at a wedding. And the bridegroom, the bridesmaids, they share in the joy of the bride and groom, but they're not the bride and groom. They're not the centers of attention. Uh, it's it's the bridegroom, it's the bride. And for John, he was perfectly happy with that. Are we, is the question. Are we? Are we perfectly happy that Jesus gets the glory, that Jesus gets the attention, that we follow his will, and that he lives in us? Um, sometimes you have to be very careful about that as you watch the things going on in your life uh, that you begin to want things to be more about you and less about God. Uh, goodness and purity should never be traits that draw attention to themselves, for example, but should simply be magnets that draw people to Jesus Christ. Again, he must increase, not me. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, don't do your religious uh, service just to be seen by others and to receive praise uh, from people. So whether it's prayer or fasting or uh, Bible study or uh, giving or whatever it might be, uh, Jesus says do those things to honor God. And Paul writes that everything we say and everything we do should be done to honor God, should be done in the name of Jesus Christ with an, uh, thanksgiving in our hearts, that attitude of gratitude. And that's what we're called to be. Uh, if my holiness is not drawing people to Christ, but rather they're just saying what a great person I am, then that's not what God is asking for. I am increasing in that case, not him. Uh, and that's when we take over the position of the bridegroom instead of the friend and saying, wow, this is what a marvelous wedding. You look spectacular. You are spectacular. That needs to be our role. Uh, we have to be careful to have those relationships uh, with Christ and with others to be uh, where they should be, obediently following Jesus and his word, uh, cultivating that vital connection uh, and relationship with Christ above all else. Um, and, and that means considering ourselves crucified with Christ so that he can live 
in us, the most important relationship we have is as friends of the bridegroom and that relationship uh, with Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we don't want to divert people's attention away from Jesus and onto ourselves. We don't want to see our attention diverted away from the one who loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross for us. And now he calls us to, um, to put ourselves there. Um, offer ourselves, Paul writes in Romans 12, as living sacrifices. Deny ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. That's what he said would be required if we want to be his disciple. Um, recognizing that we are not the bridegroom, that we are the friend of the bridegroom, and we glory in his joy and in his accolades. And looking over at him with John the Baptist, we say he must increase, I must decrease, and joyfully so. I pray that you'll have a good uh, rest of your week, and I hope that I'll be able to see you uh, this Thursday. God bless.